Hello, Spotlight 19 listeners. Congressman Antonio Delgado here. I am so glad to see the relaunch of this podcast that keeps folks connected across all 11 counties of New York 19. Can you believe that we are nearly 60 days away from the 2020 election? It feels like just yesterday that we were all working together to get out the vote in 2018. We are now approaching a weekend of action on September 5th and 6th. Weekend phone banks are crucial to connect with voters, recruit more volunteers, and put in the work to make positive change in our communities. Now is the time to get excited and volunteer. Sign up for a phone bank shift at mobilize.us forward slash Delgado for Congress. You can also check out the Spotlight 19 podcast description for a compilation of all the different ways to get involved. Onward and upward. Welcome back to Spotlight 19. Thank you for tuning in. This is Justin Tracy. You just heard from our congressman, Antonio Delgado, letting us know that it's all hands on deck for this election. That's just 63 days away. And even sooner if you consider the new focus on absentee ballots and early voting here in New York's 19th congressional district. We have a great show for you here with state Senate candidate Michelle Hinchy. Stay with us on Spotlight 19. We're running to be really an upstate voice in the majority conference. We need to make sure that we're advocating for our communities, both from a funding perspective as well as from an issue perspective. Uh, Things like expanding broadband and access to broadband, protecting our open spaces and our natural resources, and making sure that our schools have adequate and equal funding. You know, these are things that we really need to be talking about uh, in the majority conference, and the only way we'll do that is with an upstate voice. That was just a little preview of Sarge's interview with Michelle Hinchy that you'll hear in a bit. Justin Tracy here from Hurley Sound Studio in Hurley, New York, bringing you our 41st episode nearly a year after our last episode. We have been quarantining and raising our two-year-old during this time, but in the new age of COVID and minimal opportunities to meet our candidates, we had to bring Spotlight 19 back. We hope everyone is safe and healthy out there during these difficult times. Over the next nine weeks, we will be hearing from many of our New York 19 state candidates and other special guests as we work to motivate people so we can have the biggest voter turnout ever. Even though 2018 was great, we ousted Fazo after all. Many of our down-ballot candidates and guests on Spotlight 19 did not get elected, although Antonio won. This is due to lack of name recognition and failure to vote all the way down the ballot. We want everyone to hear from our candidates in an intimate setting, like they might have at a summer Democratic picnic or a firehouse pancake breakfast, were it not for Trump's administration's failure to contain COVID-19. But it's not just important for people to know their candidates. We need you all to volunteer. The Republicans are out canvassing in a pandemic, showing up at strangers' doors, even though it's a risky thing to do. You may ask why Democrats are not doing any in-person canvassing. At the end of the day, if a canvasser or a person on the other side of the door gets COVID, the campaign would have to notify everyone. It's just not safe to show up at strangers' door to have a conversation, even in masks, even six feet apart. The campaign would then have to spend precious time on the phone with contact tracers instead of voters. That's why it's so important to sign up for a phone bank. Tag all your friends on social media so they know about the ways to vote and who to vote for. 
That's how we will win again and make sure New York 19 becomes a democratic stronghold and there is never a FASO or a FASO in training again. Now, let's hear from Michelle Hinchy, candidate for New York State Senate, District 46. All right, welcome back. We're here today with Michelle Hinchy. She is a candidate for State Senate in District 46, which includes all or part of five counties. I'm sure she's going to tell us a little bit about how it meanders around upstate New York. And welcome, Michelle. Hi, thank you. I'm so excited to be on. I feel like we've talked about this so many times. Yeah, we have definitely been on a very long hiatus, but you actually announced your run over a year ago. Is that correct? Yes. We launched with a listening tour in July of last year and then formally at the end of September. So I wanted to start with more of your origin story. I think some of our listeners might know that you're the daughter of the late Congressman Maurice Hinchy, but I wanted to really get some more details because I think people are interested in what it's like to grow up in that household, but also what was it like to grow up in Saugerties during the 90s? I think we're right around the same age. So to me, that's very interesting. What are the main differences that you see between when you were growing up and our, some of our high schoolers today? And obviously, COVID has changed that landscape immensely. And we, we will get to that. Yeah, you know, I loved growing up here. You know, I, I grew up between, I lived in Saugerties, but I grew up really between Woodstock and Saugerties, being really involved in the Woodstock Youth Theater, um, going to the Woodstock Day School, and then to Saugerties High School. And I loved it, you know, going back uh, after school, going to the baseball fields in high school every day. It was just such a wonderful community setting. Uh, you know, I, what's so special about upstate. And I think, you know, our small towns, that there really is just such a sense of community. You know, people look out for each other, people help each other. And, you know, I talk a lot about how we'd go to the baseball fields and someone's parents would pick us up. You know, you wouldn't necessarily know who, uh, but you always would get home. And uh, it was just such a fun, safe experience. You know, Saugerties itself has changed so much, though, over the last uh, few decades that uh, it's really exciting to see. You know, growing up, there was a lot of antique stores, um, now we have really nice antique stores and boutiques. And I mean, our food scene has always been great, but even more of them now, you know, it's, it's really great to see the growth. Going back to that same time period, what's the first campaign of your dad's that you really remember? I know you have talked about when you were featured as a two-year-old. I think your mom relayed that to me pre-COVID when we had an event together and our son Ray, who's around that same age, was there. And she told me, you know, I remember bringing Michelle to things at this age. But what was your first, you know, memory of a campaign? Yeah, my first memory period, I think, was when I was around two and Governor Mario Cuomo at the time was here in Kingston. And although I had no idea it was Kingston, I just the memory I have is being in a hall, my dad holding me, and I had an American flag and the governor reaching and taking my American flag from me. We were there for some event and, uh, play, you know, engaging me the way he would his grandkids, probably. And it was all fun and games for a, a little bit until I really wanted my flag back and I lost it and I had a two-year-old temper tantrum about it. And that's my first uh, political memory. I got my flag back, though. <laughs> and since since that time, did you experience, you know, your dad was in Congress for 20 years, that same campaign cycle, you know, recurring every two years. What was that like? 
Yeah, you know, it's a lot of work. You know, when you grow up in it, you see how much work goes into it. You see how much you can help people. And you also see all of the negative sides. You know, when, when you run for office the way that my dad did, you know, people come first and the people he's elected to represent always come first. And a traditional afternoon or Saturday afternoon for us, our bonding time would be getting in the car and driving from Saugerties to Poughkeepsie to Newburgh to Binghamton back to Woodstock, you know, a whole host of events in a row and kind of traversing across the state to meet people and to hear different stories. And even when we would go back to school shopping, you know, we would, it was still always kind of a, not a campaign event, but a government or political event, you know, we'd stop and talk to every single person who came and approached him. And that's how I learned it. You know, I would hear people say, thank you so much for, you know, helping my mother be able to stay in her home to please help me. I'm trying to get my veterans benefits, you know, and for some reason it's not going through. And I learned that my whole life, you know, and I listened to that my whole life and and heard those stories really early on. And so I think it definitely shaped the way I approach this and understand this job. Uh, But specifically on the the campaigns, you know, you're always you're always campaigning. Anytime you talk to people, you are making sure that you're listening to them and trying to solve their problems. Sure. And you mentioned people coming up to you when you're out in public. So my next question is actually about COVID. We kind of alluded to it briefly before, you know, COVID began back in March. And I wanted to know what it was like for you personally. I know you interact with uh, your mom regularly, who is out back on the trail now in a different capacity. What was it like for you personally? And what has it been like for the campaign in this new COVID reality that's been going on since March of 2020? Yeah, you know, it's something obviously that none of us have dealt with before. And I think we're we're going to be, you know, thinking about and dealing with the mental impacts of this for a really long time for all of us. You know, we, we've had to uh, experience something that we never thought we would. You know, even just the other day, I was getting gas at Quick Check and looking at everybody with their masks on and thinking, how did we get here? You know, if you had asked me eight months ago that we'd be walking around in a world where everyone wore masks, you know, that's it feels so far in. Uh, And yet here we are Uh, from the campaign side. Uh, you know, we switched our whole campaign to a covid response, Uh, because for me, if you're getting into public service, it should be to help people. uh, And when better to do that than in the middle of a national and global pandemic. Uh, So we really made sure that all of our resources were going to that between wellness check-in calls to people throughout the district. I was personally volunteering all over uh, the five counties uh, that make up the 46th, everywhere from food pantries in Amsterdam uh, to delivering meals with the Gilderland school districts to being at People's Place uh, and actually picking up the phones at the Ulster County uh, COVID crisis hotline and, you know, just making sure that people had access to the things that they need, which which was so important. And, you know, personally, we were really fortunate that we weren't and haven't been to date uh, directly impacted by this, but so many people have, you know, we're healthy and we have our health and think we've been safe and we're all fortunate to live in upstate where we can at least get outside a little bit and not go too stir crazy. But, uh, you know, a lot of people haven't been so lucky. So as long as we can kind of work to keep helping them, that's all we can do. What's been the biggest challenge just for the campaign? You know, obviously going up to people in the super supermarket or people coming up to you, they don't even necessarily know it's you because you're masked. Uh, what's the biggest challenge for the campaign? Yeah, in the beginning, it was actually 
It made some of our meeting people easier in the sense that we could do virtual meet and greets and virtual house parties throughout all five counties. Uh, people were looking for engagement, right? And so we were able to do a, a virtual house party with people from Altamont and then right afterwards do one with people in Greene County and not have to really account for for travel time and to make sure that we could still be reaching out and, and meeting people uh, through that. You know, now, though, as everybody's kind of on a different scale of comfortability, events are still canceled. You know, the biggest challenge is just meeting more people, you know, and getting in front of people, talking about our message, uh, getting our name out there. You know, COVID also in the news cycle between the national uh, political news cycle and the COVID news cycle. It's a little bit hard for local uh, and state campaigns to break through that. And so both making sure that we can get some coverage uh, and that we can just keep meeting people uh, is really kind of what our biggest challenge is right now. Sure. What do you think your dad would have thought about, you know, campaign by Zoom or just, you know, digital campaigning that, you know, era really, you know, Barack Obama was one of the first people to deploy social media and have online campaigning. And now that landscape has totally changed. He would have hated it. And yet he didn't even have an email address. You know, I mean, he was a bit older, so I guess we can understand that. But he didn't even have an email address, you know, and for him, it's all about meeting people and, and having that personal conversation. You know, I hate politics sounds so partisan, but, you know, politics and government is all about engaging and meeting your neighbor and talking about the needs. And, you know, you can do that virtually, but you do lose something. You know, I think we all feel that we've all been craving uh, human connection again, you know, outside of it. So I don't I wouldn't he would have done it, but it wouldn't have been for him. Yeah, I don't think I think everyone's still adjusting. And you even saw there was a house hearing on Monday on the post office, which is one of the things we'll get to in a minute. There were issues, tech issues in the house. So, you know, I think everyone's trying to grapple with how do we continue to do the work? How do we still stay in touch with people? I think in the beginning of COVID, people were still doing these social Zooms and things like that. And that's kind of dwindled now as we realize that this is our reality for a while, hopefully not for a lot longer. But that time frame is definitely a little bit longer than initially where people were thinking, oh, maybe this is for two weeks, three weeks, and now we're getting into the seven to eight month territory. <laughs> right. And Zoom fatigue is real. You know, you can only do so many Zooms in a day or in a week. You know, we, you need the energy from people. Sure. I want to move on to a little bit more about your platform. Um, we're going to start with environment. I did see that today you're endorsed by the League of Con Conservation Voters um, for New York. I know you're the current, so we didn't talk too much about your district. Currently, Georgia Amador, and uh, for our listeners out there, Justin and I actually live in what would be Michelle's district if she won, but District 46 um, includes five counties, um, a lot of different towns carved out of Ulster where it begins, and that's your home. But then can you just tell us where it kind of snakes up the Hudson north? Sure. Yeah, so we have uh, a good portion, the northern portion of Ulster County. So as far south as uh, Lloyd and Highland and then over to Stone Ridge, Marbletown, uh, Saugerties, Woodstock, Kingston, Ulster, Asopus. And then we have all of Greene County. 
And then in Albany County, we have the Hilltowns and Gilderland. So it cuts around the city of Albany. Uh, and then in Schenectady, we have also the more rural per- portion from Rotterdam to Dwaynesburg and one ED in the city of Schenectady. And then we have all of Montgomery County. So it's definitely a wide expanse, uh, like a lot of the counties that are within and just outside of New York 19. um, Definitely difficult to get around. And that's something we've talked about a lot. We actually overlap. It's it's funny because we overlap with Congressman Delgado in Ulster and Green. And then we overlap with Congressman Tonko in Albany and Schenectady. And then Congressman Tonko and Congressman Delgado split Montgomery County. Oh, wow. I mean, it's it just and who knows what will happen during redistricting and uh, this is a good time for a PSA about everyone to take their census because that will determine um, the next iteration of all these maps. Um, anyway, going back to environment, um, I saw that one of your first jobs was um, a campaign against fracking with um, the fund for public interest. What was that experience like and uh, why did you decide to do that and how does it relate to your environmental platform now? Yeah, it was a really interesting experience. You know, we were grassroots canvassing to end fracking before the moratorium was put in place uh, across the state. And so we were in places um, really all over uh, trying to raise awareness and, you know, standing on the street, both uh, fundraising uh, and asking people to donate to the campaign, as well as raising awareness for why they should care about New York's drinking water. Uh, it taught me a lot about people. It taught me a lot to to help engage with people. Uh, it, it's a hard thing to do, you know, putting yourself out there really and looking at strangers to have and asking them to stop and pay attention to, to your issue when people have very busy lives. Uh, so I learned a lot from it. It was a really interesting, challenging, but rewarding experience. Uh, I got into that you know, I had graduated from college in 2009, which was kind of smack in the middle of the last recession that we all faced and was fortunate enough to get a job from an internship that I had had. Uh, but, you know, it wasn't really the the career that I wanted. And I, I felt, you know, I felt after that that I needed to take a year and take some time to really give back and be involved in our community. And uh, the concept of fracking, specifically hydraulic fracturing, is something that I learned about while I was at school at Cornell out in Ithaca because it was a really big issue out there. And my dad was really a, a fighter in that as well. And when I saw that this was an opportunity to work on that and, and for me to do it myself and really lend my voice, it was something that I, I needed to do uh, and couldn't pass up. And it shapes a lot of what our, our environmental policy is now, uh, just in general. You know, I mean, we need to be shifting away from fossil fuels and, and from natural gas. We need to be thinking about renewables. You know, it's not something we don't have the time, as we all know, uh, to slowly phase out of this. And so I commend Senator Metzger and so many others for their fight against fracking uh, currently at the state level. I'm excited to hopefully join her and others to make sure that we can push this even forward because we need to be uh, really fighting against this and making sure that, you know, even though we've banned you know, the large pipelines in the state, we still have many mini pipelines that we have running running to homes. And so we really need to do a full shift to renewables. You've been kind of advocating for different kind of smaller issues around the around this district since you announced your run, including, you know, the illegal dumping in Saugerties and in the Woodstock area. Uh, You also um, stood up in 
to discuss and inform people about the PFAS issue, which we've actually talked at length um, on this podcast about the issue around New York 19. And that is actually an issue within Greene County. And um, also the overuse of Catterskill Clove, which was something that kind of came out of COVID as we see more and more people looking for things to do um, outside of New York City and within New York so they don't have to maybe um, potentially quarantine if they go out of state. What do you think is the biggest environmental issue in District 46? Obviously, fracking is banned. Um, You just mentioned these mini pipelines. But if you could just uh, narrow it down to one issue, what would that be? Sure, although I'm never good at narrowing things down to one. I would say overarchingly, obviously, the issue of climate change is something that we just desperately need to address. Um, But for our district specifically, really clean water. You know, and and I understand the PFAS, but even um, further than that, you mentioned the Catterskill Clove. You know, we have... um, such overusage of many of our waterways. And we have communities also within this district that have 100-year-old water infrastructure. You know, we've got this toxic dumping that's happening in Saugerties and in Hurley and in Woodstock and in Greene County. Um, It's popping up all over the place. And these toxins are getting into the ground. Uh, And they're not only getting into the air, but they're getting into our groundwater. Uh, We need to make sure that we're banning all these things for the sake of our clean water. I mean, it's a human right. My father actually wrote, I think it was the first Clean Water Act uh, for New York State. And it's crazy to me that we are still decades later fighting for these same issues. You know, he was standing up against toxic dumping. And here we were in Saugerties. It took 10 months to close that one. And yet now here's more, you know, and so making sure that we recognize our open spaces, how important our natural resources are, uh, and keep our water clean. Talking about your dad, my mom actually teaches about the Love Canal. And in prepping for this interview, that's something I didn't know, that it was really Congressman Hinchy when he was at the state level that really brought that to the forefront and was one of the first environmentalists. The reason people are coming up to this area during COVID is because it's it's a beautiful place to escape and kind of forget about everything that's going on. And one of the reasons it's preserved is, um, you know, because of that work. So uh, another issue that's brought you out to the streets during COVID is um, this issue with the post office. Uh, I've seen you stand with our labor leaders outside of the Kingston post office earlier this week and also during last weekend. While this kind of federal administration puts something as fundamental and as beloved as the post office under attack. Obviously, that's not a state issue, um, but... It is an issue because a lot of your district and a lot of New York 19 is very rural and people are very dependent upon the post office. Why did you find this issue to be so important to you? Yeah, the it's the post office. You know, it, it's a <laughs> sacred institution that we all depend on. Uh, it's something, you know, especially as we head into this election, we cannot have more voter disenfranchisement. Uh, we need to make sure everybody's voices are heard safely during a pandemic. And to your point, much of our district is very rural. You know, much of New York is very rural. And people depend on the post office. They go that last mile. You know, people depend on it for their pension checks. People depend on it for their prescriptions. You know, these are things we can't play around with these things. And if we're slowing down our our postal service, you know, this really is a matter of life and death for many people in our communities. And we've got to call attention to it. Right. And especially right now during COVID when uh, these extra benefits that were 
passed by the first stimulus bill have expired. So, you know, every dollar is going to go further and further uh, for so many people around our district and just around the country that are in need. And, you know, as we confront this new COVID reality, we talked a little bit about Zoom, um, broadband and your access to reliable Internet has become more and more important. Um, I know broadband was one of your first I believe op-eds in the Times Union was about, you know, the need for strong rural broadband. Um, Senator Metzger has worked on a bill, and I think it did pass, to, you know, shore up our mapping of broadband. But what do you think the next steps are um, when so many students, I know a lot of the school districts within District 46 are going to do online learning only, even though, you know, the COVID rates up here are thankfully today, I may have to change this by the time this comes out in a few days, but are thankfully very low. Um, It's still very uh, risky to send our students back to school. Yet many people here do not have access and it it doesn't even matter your economic situation. Um, We had to reset our router today. It's true. You know, lack of access to reliable Internet and broadband affects not just our our students and homeschooling, but our seniors who are now being told to get their health care and telemedicine uh, online. And from an economic development perspective, too, everybody's working from home. Uh, and how do you start a business if you're staying home or run your business if you can't get on the Internet? Uh, it's it's a huge issue and one that was one of the first issues that I heard when we launched our listening tour in July and has been one of the issues that we are uh, talking about every day uh, throughout this whole campaign. You know, it, it's great that Senator Metzger's mapping bill was signed, uh, has been passed, and I believe it was signed, which is tremendously exciting. Uh, I'm really excited to work with unions like CWA, uh, the Communications Workers Association, to uh, continue to push this issue and make sure everybody has access. You know, I think the next steps here are to hold our companies accountable. The The mapping uh, Bill will basically now for the first time formally show us we know where there are gaps, but we don't have it on paper. We don't know it formally. And so this will now for the first time really show us what needs to be covered. And it will be able to show that a lot of these companies who have said, oh, we've we've hit our mapping or we've hit our coverage quota, uh, that that's just not true. You know, and uh, they're trying to say many homes, uh, many families who are trying to get access to the Internet are being told it's going to cost them $30,000 to run Internet to their house, even if they live across the street from a community that has it. So this will really show that uh, the need is great, that it needs to be expanded. And I think on the state level, you know, we have to hold companies accountable to make sure now that we can see that, uh, that they do it. And if they don't, what are the repercussions? You know, what are the tax breaks that they may be getting? What are the grants that they were applying for? We need to take those off the table if they're not upholding their side of the bargain. Absolutely. I agree 100 percent. And especially now when we're, you know, in addition to education, all of these core basic uh, needs are being met through virtual or the Internet or some other way because we're diminishing our in-person contact with people. And that's going to be the case for a while until, you know, a vaccine is available on a widespread level. Um, Shifting gears to something that's a little bit more positive, it was the centennial of um, the 19th Amendment this month, earlier this month. And 
I know there was some programming around that. You are, I believe, the only millennial woman that is running, you know, outside of the New York City metro area for Senate. Is that correct? There is one other out in Rochester. Her name is Samra Brook. Okay. And she's great, but there's two of us. (laughs) Okay. So um, at least for this area, it is um, the average age is obviously older, um, but it's really exciting to see someone that is kind of speaks to the issues that young families are facing. And, you know, you've talked before about people moving away from the area and what would need to happen to make them come back. But, you know, as as a woman, have you faced any stereotyping or challenges um, because of your gender, even though we're, you know, 100 years into getting equal rights, at least in terms of suffrage? There's a long way to go still. Absolutely. Uh, you know, it, it's still always surprising, but you you kind of expect it. But it is always surprising. You know, we've gone to a couple of meetings, even where I brought my campaign manager, uh, Jesse Meyer, uh, Jesse being a, a man, and we've had meetings with people who know that I'm the candidate, and they will only talk to Jesse. Uh, they won't even, you know, they'll glance every once in a while back over, but they direct the entire conversation to Jesse, which makes him very uncomfortable because he notices it and he's aware of it, too, uh, you know, to his credit. But it's something, you know, people, whether that's, uh, you know, an internal bias or they mean to, it, it, we, we don't know. But it, it is definitely something uh, that continues. And, and people have definitely talked about my age. You know, I think. Um, many people have talked about it being a positive, uh, but many others have talked about it being a negative, you know, and do you have enough experience and what is it, you know, who, who are you? Should you try something else first? You know, have you run for anything else first? And, you know, these are questions that I get that we don't see our male counterparts get nearly as much. I mean, Joe Biden was younger than me when he was first elected, you know, and, and many other people and even some in the New York 19 primary, you know, it, it's something that uh, we get directed much more than others. Yeah, that's unfortunate. And maybe one day, hopefully sooner rather than later, that will change. Um, I think we need to wrap up just so, uh, you know, you can get on to the next thing, because I know we're entering this phase of, I believe, 67 days to go until election day and it's really hard to say election day because it's really going to be election season um tell us about what your team is doing and how people can get involved um as we head into the time for people to get their absentee ballots go for early voting and you know it's no longer you know vote on november 3rd whenever we put that message out you have to say or by mail or vote early think there's those three things that people need to do this year. Absolutely. And, you know, I will plug November 3rd is actually my birthday. (laughs) So what people can do is to vote for our race as a birthday present, Uh, you know, but it is there's it's very confusing this year on, you know, how we can vote when we can vote. Thankfully, the governor did just sign the bills to allow everyone to be able to vote uh, by mail, but you do have to request that ballot first. And our biggest thing right now is just spreading the word and, and getting our name out and making sure people know how important the state Senate race is. You know, historically, there has been a drop off between, uh, you know, congressional and Senate race. And we need to make sure that people vote all the way down the ballot because these races are actually so tremendously important. They affect all of our day to day lives uh, more directly on a day-to-day basis. And uh, so spreading the word, 
talking to your neighbors. Uh, we have a great volunteer team and a great field director. Her name is Kaylee May. Uh, we are always looking for volunteers, for people to help us uh, make phone calls and write postcards. Follow us on social media. Uh, check out our website. Sign up for our newsletter. Uh, there's a number of ways to get involved uh, safely, of course, and just spreading the word about the race because we have a really great shot at flipping this seat uh, red to blue. Uh, we just need to keep spreading the word. Yeah, and we'll include all of the links to get involved with Michelle's campaign in the description of the podcast and on all of our own social channels. So please, please get involved. Um, this is actually an opportunity to potentially get a veto-proof supermajority in the Senate, which would mean, you know, our progressive senators could really affect the changes that people have been wanting to see in New York State for a long time. Well, Michelle, this has been so great to sit down with you and really hear about uh, your story and what's been going on since you started the campaign and we wish you the best of luck and hopefully the next time you're back here we can not have masks and be celebrating um, a much needed win for the people of the 46th district. That sounds great. I very much look forward to it and thank you so much. Thanks for having this forum for people to to listen and learn uh, more about our races and I look forward to working with you more to, so that we can flip and keep all of our seats here in New York 19. You can find out more at HinchyForNY.com. That's Hinchy, F-O-R-N-Y.com. Thanks to both Michelle and Representative Delgado for joining us today. We encourage all of our listeners to make their plan to vote. There are three ways to do it this year. One, you can actually request your absentee ballot today by heading to absenteeballot.elections.ny.gov. That's absenteeballot.elections.ny.gov. Dot elections dot ny dot gov. Number two, you can vote early in person at locations throughout your county between October 24th and November 1st. And number three, you can vote in person on election day from 6 a.m. to 9 p.m. And that just about does it for our show today. We'll have a whole lot more information on voting in our next episode. But until then, thanks for listening. Keep the faith.